first of all, let me tell you where we've been. Big idea, very quickly. Jesus had one vision, and that was to create a church of which the gates of hell would not prevail against. A hell-busting-up church. Busting up hell in the world, busting up hell in your life. There is one building block for that church. It's called a disciple. A living stone. That's what it was. When you're going to build a church, you're going to build it with a living stone called a disciple. So we're in the business of making disciples. That was Jesus' order, the great, great Commission. Go ye therefore into all the world, making disciples. Um, and, and so here's, here's where we've come so far, all right? So far this year, the increments in making disciples, the steps, number one, a disciple is someone who has the gospel message to proclaim, the kerygma, that's the Greek word, kerygma, the proclamation, the gospel. And this is it, basically a, a summation of many parts of the Bible, that God has sent his son to cancel the penalty and power of sin. That's what happened on the cross. That's why the blood and body of our Lord Jesus Christ is so effective for us. It says, debts are canceled. Debts are, you don't have to go back and try to fix what you did wrong. All gone. That's your old life. Those debts are canceled. Don't spend the rest of your life looking into your past saying, I wish I hadn't done that. It's gone. Those of you who accept that wonderful gift of Jesus Christ, that both the penalty and the power of sin is, is paid for by Christ on the cross. Now watch. Also to give us daily the power of his resurrection. That's why it didn't stop at the cross. That's why Jesus Christ came back and says, I want, I want to give you the power of the resurrection, a brand new life every day you live. And that's your future, and I want you to shape the future. So a disciple has this gospel message. The reason you're still around instead of, instead of in heaven, the reason God hadn't killed you yet, is because you need to give this message to somebody else because he wants to include more people that are debt-free and walking around in a surplus. All right. Number two, a disciple is initiated by baptism baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and integrated into a spiritual family, the church. All of us need an us. All of us need a community that will have our back, that will develop our potential, and that will help us to be sustained into growth into Christ. And so that's us. That's, that's what your us is. That's what the distributed church is. And that's why we don't just form it in a large room. We form it, we're forming it now out of the relationships you already have. That's your us. You have Christians around you. That's the church. That's where we're going to form the church. Number three, a disciple is taught and trained. The ancient document, the one of the apostles, is the Didache. How to live the resurrected life in the world. This is all about how to not only develop God's holiness in your life, but to develop it for others. Because again, we're still around for them. That's why we're still around. If it was all about you, God would kill you right now, take you to heaven. If you believe in Jesus, we're still around to serve others and to serve them where they are, both biographically and geographically, wherever they are, that's where we serve. All right. 
That was the life of Jesus. That's what he did. He went out. All right? Number four, a disciple is transformed by God. This is not something human energy, human strength can do. We're transformed by God through the renewing of our mind. God literally gives us the mind of God. A different way of thinking creates new neural pathways as we focus on him. So this isn't something we go, okay, now I've got to become a Christian. Oh, you know, it's kind of, kind of like an apple tree. Now I've got to produce an apple. Oh, you know, no, you got a new life. God's going to do this. Got to, get, got to have some confidence about this. God's going to do it. Trust him. Now, in between those messages became, came um, Palm Sunday and Easter, remember? And so, and so basically Easter was about, and this is what I promised you last week. It was about helping you understand that God now offers you a resurrected life, the power of the resurrection in your everyday life. Now, let me tell you what that basically is, just in a couple of words. You can operate out of a surplus. Five words. Operate out of a surplus. This is what we want to train you to do. It takes training. Because we're, we're, so, we're so used to just operating. I've got, I haven't got enough. I'm not enough. I can't do enough. I can't. Stop that. All your debts have been canceled. You understand? So if all your debts are canceled, what you've got now is a surplus. And, and this is the important, this important part. First, first training in resurrected life. All right? God gives you plenty to operate your life, to manage your life, and plenty to serve others. But he doesn't give you enough to manage other people's lives. Now this is gonna take a while because y'all are interested in managing other people's lives. And that's why you're so tired all the time. So discouraged all the time. It's a natural human tendency and that's why God would give us, for our fifth lesson, Romans 14. This is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. And, and let me, let's just go into Romans 14. This is what it says. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment. Now, ironically, let me tell you who this is. Who this is. Back in that time, the church had a real problem with people who would come in and, and, and give others religious rules they had to keep. These, these, were the, these were the super scrupulous, supercilious, I love that word, supercilious. I just love that word. These were the, these were the um, um, legalism people. You've got to do this. Now, the reason Paul calls them weak in faith is because they don't act out of any freedom. They've, they add laws that you have to obey. This is their way of thinking in order to be right with God. When we know that we're right with God simply by what Christ has done on the cross. Jesus did it all. But they came in, no, you, you, you've got to keep these diets. You, you can't eat meat because it's probably been sacrificed to idols and it's got 
spiritual cooties, you know? And, 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 and you can't, and, and one, you know, you've got to keep this one day because this one day is holier than all the rest of the days. And if you don't keep this one day, then you're not measuring up and, and so on and so forth. Well, Paul said, you know what? These folks are weak in faith because they, they don't have enough faith to believe that Jesus really did what he said he was going to do. And they feel like they got to add to it. But you know what? They're part of us. You know, so just, you got you to learn to live with these po- folks. And, 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 and you got you to gotta understand that sometime, sometimes you just got to be patient with people. Now, let me get, before I, before I go into the rest of this, let me, just, let me just say something here. Part of what we need to do to form the church is to get to know people so that we can be a spiritual family with people who know us. And, 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 and one of the great fears of the elders of the church is people won't get to know each other. And one of my great fears is that they will. And I t- I'll tell you why. Because as soon as you get to know each other, you're irritated. Because the people sitting around you are irritating. They are. Because they don't think like you do. God has this great sense of humor. He always puts you with people who don't think like you do. And so, and so you want to do one of two things. You want to get away from them ah, because you're afraid uh, that they'll manage your life or you want to start managing their life, which is a great distraction from focusing on Christ. Now, let me give two disclaimers here. When I talk about not managing other people's lives and about not judging, that's what we're going to be talking about because we spend so much of our time in judging other people. First of all, I'm going to tell you two things. This does not apply to parents. It is your job to manage your children. Please manage your children. God has put you into that authority. That is your proper authority. They will not turn out well for any of us, especially themselves, if you don't take control and have authority in their life and try to stop being a friend, try to be a parent. You're a parent, all right? That's absolutely necessary. Number two, I don't want you to think anything I'm saying is ever to the point where we condone sin. Because sin destroys people. Sin destroys relationships. So this isn't about, you know, those who have been given into your charge. It's not about sin. It's about people who are not, are are obnoxious. Let me give you an illustration. Let me give you an illustration. First of all, let me tell you about a guy that Becky and I met last week. He was a, he was a pastor from Nigeria. And I said, well, what, you know, what's, what's your congregation? He said, we are Seventh-day Pentecostals. I've never heard of Seventh-day Pentecostals. I said, well, tell me about that. He said, yeah. He said, I used to be a Seventh-day Adventist. But then I got filled with the Holy Spirit, became Pentecostal. Now I'm a Seventh-day Pentecostal. Now, I wanted, I mean, for those of you who don't know anything about background, Seventh-day Adventists keep a lot of the Old Testament law. They, they, they just observe a lot of the Old Testament law. Doesn't mean they're not Christian, just means they're, they're very, you know, they're, they tend toward the legalism, all right? Pentecostal, woo, you know, the, you know they, they're just, they're out there. So, so here's a guy who, who, who didn't want to be confined to the law, but couldn't quite leave it alone, you know? Well, 
Delightful guy. God bless him. I hope his church prospers. And, and I, there's nothing in me that wants to say, is that a right? Is, yeah. Okay. That's what God's doing with his life. You see what I'm talking about here? There are some people that you know who are trying to follow Christ and do things that, that aren't good for them. They're just not good for them. They're not lethal. They're just not good for them. Remember when I told you a couple of weeks ago, the illustration about the kid eating dirt? And, 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 and the parent asking the doctor, is there something he lacks? And, and the doctor saying, yes, yeah, supervision. And one of, one of our doctors here caught me in the hallway and said, you know, there really is a disease called pica disease, where people have an appetite or a hunger for things that are not food. They, they, they hunger for chalk or they hunger for clay or, or, or there, there was a documented case. I looked this up where this wife followed her husband around. She didn't smoke. He did. And she followed him around to get his ashes and ate his ashes. Yeah, it's really gross. It's really, oh, oh, you know, not lethal, not lethal, but just kind of weird. You know, you have people around you all the time. That not with that particular disease, but it's kind of spiritual pica. It's not lethal. It's just weird. Not good for them, but not lethal, you know? And so your whole, most of us want to say, no, 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 no. And want to follow them around so they don't eat ashes. But I got to tell you, that's not the life God gives you. When God gives you a resurrected life, it's so that you can operate out of a surplus. Not for the management of someone else's life, but so that you can focus on your life, building up your life, so that you can do what God has called you to do. Let me read on here. This is what it says. It says, um, verse 4, who are you to judge the servant of another? Who are you to judge the servant of another? And then in verse 12, it says, So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Let me say that. Each one of us will give an account of himself to God, of herself to God. Let me pick on a couple of people I know, so I know they won't get mad at me. Sue Ann, I want you to stand up just for a second. Come on. You trust me. You got to trust me. I'm your preacher. All right. Tom, Tom, would you stand up just for a second? Okay. <clears throat> now, Sue Ann, when you come before the Lord to give an account of your life, are you going to give an account for Tom's life? No. No. So he's not, he's, you don't have to worry. That's, that's his concern. That's not your concern. Okay, Tom, sit down. Michael, stand up. This is a little tougher now. This is a little tougher. All right. Now, Sue Ann, on Judgment Day, are you going to give an account for Michael's life? No, you're not. That's correct. That's correct. You're giving an account for your life. Okay, both of you said that. That's the point. That's the point. Now, the people who have this are free in Christ. The people who understand this, free in Christ. 
Because all of us have the tendency to want to manage, and we spend a great deal of, of, of time trying to manage that which is not manageable by us. Let me give you, a, let me give you an illustration. You ever go bowling? Some of you have been bowling. What do you do after you let go of the ball and that ball starts heading toward the gutter? What do you do? Don't you? Don't you? You can't help yourself. You're trying, your body's trying to manage that. It's gone. Ball is gone. I've been watching the Masters. I don't know why I can't play golf. Don't know anything about it. But it's fascinating to me. Somebody with a little ball and a stick can hit it within three feet of a pin from, I mean, it's just fascinating. But here's what I see when I watch this. These are the experts. These are the best, most skilled in the field. Go, 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 go. Bite, bite, bite. I have no idea what bite means. I'm just pretty sure that the ball can't hear him. Seriously. I'm pretty sure that he has no control of that ball after it's let. What do we do when we see people around us who are not accountable to us? And, 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 and we're not going to say anything to them, but half of your life, you don't have to raise your hand, but just think of how many people you spend during the day going like this. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. I hope you don't. I hope he doesn't. I hope. You haven't got enough energy for that. That is a waste of your energy. Let me read on. Let me, let me see, tell you what else it says in here. This is what it says. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in our brother's way. By managing, by managing their lives when they're not asking for management. Somebody comes to you and asks for counsel, you can give them your best advice. But when you try to chase them down and tell them how to live their life, guess what? It's going to have just the opposite effect. Because they ain't asking. And you're wasting a whole lot of energy. And God hadn't given you that much energy. This is, I read this at one point, and, and, and let me just read it to you instead of trying to Memorize it. The, the author is unknown. It was cited in one of Chuck Swindoll's books. But it has, it, it, it's entitled Let Go, you know? Uh, I'm convinced that one of the reasons that little Disney Let It Go, Let It Go thing, the Frozen Ice Queen, whatever it is, awesome movie. I'm tickled they're coming out with another one. We, we, Becky and I go to these movies even when we can't drag our grandchildren, you know, uh, it's, it, we don't even, I, I love these movies. And, and, but one of the reasons I think this song is so popular, Let It Go, is because it's what all of us want to do. It's, what, it's, it's in the heart of all of us, so it's what all of us think we should do. But we just can't quite get there. And let me read some of these words. To let go does not mean to stop caring. 
It means that I can't do it for someone else. To let go is not to enable, but to allow learning that comes from natural consequences. It's okay to let someone suffer the consequences of their own behavior. Most of the time, that's the only way they're going to learn. Ouch, that hurt. Don't think I'll do that again. To let go is to admit powerlessness over others and to make the most of myself. To let go is not to care for, but to care about. To let go is not to fix, but to be supportive. To let go is not to judge, but to allow another to be human. Most of us have made mistakes, right? Why don't you allow others to do that? God's got them. Somebody says, who are you to judge the servant of another? These people aren't your servants. They're God's servants. We're talking about Christians here. <clears throat> to let go is not to be in the middle of arranging outcomes. It is to permit another to face reality. To let go is not to nag. You know, my wife got this great rule. She uses it on me. <clears throat> not to nag. She'll say something once. And then she'll never say it again. She'll let it go. We got a great marriage. Because if my wife says something, I pay attention to her. Because it's not about her volume. It's not about how many times she said it. It's the fact that if she thinks it's important enough to mention, I'm really stupid if I don't pay attention. But she doesn't nag. She never has nagged. It's not to nag or to scold or to argue, but instead to search out my own shortcomings and to correct them. To let go is to not regret the past, but to live for the future. Let it go. And don't always have in your mind that, that somebody has some agenda. Don't always have an agenda for someone else. Don't always wonder what they're thinking when they, you know, I, I see a lot of your heart in the heart, and I can see it in your eyes. I wonder if he knows about me. <laughs> I wonder what he's thinking. Could I just guarantee this about you? I'm not thinking anything. Except can I get a hug? I'm not that, I, seriously, when you ask a man what he's thinking and he says nothing, he's serious. <laughs> it's true. We're not thinking anything. Because I don't live like that. I, I live free because you're God's. You're, you're God's property. You're God's responsibility. I don't, I don't, I'm not responsible for you. I do what I can. You know, I preach out of the word. That's the best I can do. But then it's up to God. I just go home and take a nap afterwards. I don't worry about you a bit. Because I've commended you to the Holy Spirit. It's awesome to live like this. It is. This is what the, the rest of it says. And well, let me read a few more verses. This is from 17 through 19. For the kingdom of God 
is not in eating and drinking. It's not in the rules we, we make up for one another. That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not in the eating and drinking, but righteousness. You know what righteousness is? Righteousness is meeting the demands of a relationship. I help you out if I can. I commend you to God if I can't. Pretty simple. Meeting the demands of a relationship, whether that be with God or with you. <clears throat> righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves in this way serves Christ. He who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Who doesn't like to be around somebody who's always joyful? <clears throat> because they're not trying to fix what they can't fix. And they're operating out of the sufficiency of God. They're operating out of a surplus. That's what resurrected life is. You're operating out of a surplus. By the way, I was so thrilled with last week's offering. You know, we're just like $18,000 away from operating out of a surplus. I, I, was, I, I get paid every two weeks. And of course, the first 10% always comes out for the, to, to God, you know, when I, I contributed last week. I went back on this week because I just want to get, I want to get, you know, but I can't take control. <clears throat> so when we pursue, watch this, then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. We want to make disciples. But let me tell you something about making disciples. Probably the best scenario any of us could ever have is if somebody super mature in the Lord, super wise, super loving, super everything would come and just say, can I personally mentor you? And there was a chemistry in you to say, oh, I'd love that. Do you know how many people that happens for? Ah, I can't possibly be 1% of the Christian population of the world. That's not how God has chosen to disciple most of us. Do you know how he's chosen to disciple most of us? Through his spirit that is always helping us learn and change from people who don't always know us the best or who aren't always totally spiritually mature. But it's God who disciples us. As I look back in my life, I never had a super mature spiritual Christian person come and say, can I disciple you? Never had it in my life. But God has discipled me through people who more or less knew him, but somehow in their life, God said, here is my way, follow it. Here is what I want to see in your life. Pay attention. My grandmother, old holiness Methodist, man, she was awesome. I learned so much from her, but not because she ever spoke to me about the Lord. She never did. But she, she had me in the right places. And I saw her reading her Bible. And I saw her praying. And I saw her concern for other people. And the Lord says, this is my way, walk in it. Dr. Shoemaker, my old pastor growing up, I bet we didn't have a half a dozen personal conversations. 
But Lord, the Lord shaped my life out of this man. There were others in my life that I'm not even sure knew the Lord. We, I, I, you know, I told you about Francis Simon, my neighbor, who was always three sheets to the wind. I mean, this guy had an alcohol problem. I, I didn't mind because most of my family were alcoholics, so I was, I was used to drunk people. But he was 50 years old, living with his mom, wooden leg. Nothing's more fascinating to a boy than a guy with a wooden leg. Take your leg off. He'd take it off, hand it to me. I loved just handling a guy's wooden leg. It was awesome. But he'd go out and get in his car in the garage. This happened more than once. When he couldn't see it was not in reverse, it was in drive. <laughs> drive right to his garage wall. But I have had few people in my life that loved me like this guy did that paid attention to me as an eight-year-old, like this guy did, that was interested in my life, like this guy was, that would have given the shirt off his back. I don't know where this guy was from the Lord, with the Lord, but I know this. The Lord said, when you grow up, I want you to love like this, and I want you to love people who can't do you any good like this, who you can't get anything out of, like this. I had an English teacher when I was in seventh grade. Her name was Wolf, German, tight bun. Tight bun, tight person. German woman wore those old, remember those old made lace-up heels that were like this? And she'd walk, you know, up and down in front of the... She taught us with German precision. Taught us how to write a paragraph with a topic sentence and any time a sentence didn't relate back to that topic sentence she went down your but she loved us she wanted us to succeed and the Lord said to me I want this kind of excellence in your life I want what you do to have this maximum kind of achievement out of the gifts I've given you. And that's going to take work. And that's going to take precision. And I want that for your life. Do you understand how God disciples us? If you don't cut people out, if you're not overly irritated, if you're not trying to manage everybody else, you can learn a whole lot from God. Because God speaks through them. So we, we need to stop being irritated and we stop, need to stop being irritating. Do you know how many Christians there would be if the Christians that are weren't quite so irritating? I'm serious. I, I just, this fess up time. We're just irritated because we're self-righteous and we're judgmental. And we try to fix other people's lives instead of fixing our own lives. Bible says don't do that. Bible says learn from others what God has for you. Come up to that kind of love. Come up to that kind of learning. And then others will want what you got. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this wonderful passage of scripture that gives us the freedom not to manage everybody else's life. 
but promises us the great power of the resurrection to operate out of a surplus for the life that you've given to us and those that we can serve. So we ask you, Lord, to help us to trust in you, to truly trust that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid for all of our sins, my sins, and he hands us salvation as a gift. Help us to accept that gift. And then he came back to give us a different kind of life. One that has so much joy, so much peace, so much patience, so much kindness, so much goodness, so much self-control, that it is fun to live. Help us to be trained in that life. Come shape us in that life. Take these words and apply them to our minds that we might not grow shallow and apply them to our hearts that we might not grow cold and apply them to our feet that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. Amen.